Our second reading is from Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 5. You can find this in the Pew Bible on page 1095 and in your bulletin. Hear the word of God. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene and Manahen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and so, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas, and so for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. This is the word of the Lord. Usually people have no real idea of how their own culture influences their expectations, desires, and lifestyle. And the way they live their lives, we can easily lose sight of the reality that others are different. Cultural shock can be a term used to describe our feelings when we encounter people from different culture. God calls us to reach everyone, often people of different cultures. What was the most memorable cultural shock for you? Think for a while. Please, brother, project the picture, the first one. I could share several different examples, but I remember most, but what I remember most vividly happened in 2012 on our first trip to Africa. We entered one of the small clay buildings hosting the congregations. And we encountered a group of African brothers with their typical clothes and typical dancing, dances. While they were worshipping the group of believers from my church in Japan, I kind of uh, felt bad. We could never do that and dance like them. So we spent all day long a kind of withdrawal. The next day before we go to the village, we had our devotional time as a team. And we realized that our reaction was sinful. Why we react that way? Probably influenced by our view of African cult religions that we saw not just in Brazil, but in different places. We prayed to the Lord and starting the second day, we joined fellowship with our African brothers in Rwanda, trying to dance. Not as them would be impossible, but we did our best. Our different cultures tend to be obstacles, making it difficult for us to enjoy the communion that the Lord wants for his people. 
we are from different places, yet we need to build and create a multicultural church. This morning, we'll look at the biblical text of Acts chapter 13 and see how the largest missionary church in Acts can be our example of a solid multicultural church. After Stephen's death in chapter 11, missionary work among people, among the people of Israel came to a halt. And in God's providence, the Christians who had been forced to leave the city took the gospel to the people of Palestine. Wherever they went, they proclaimed the gospel of salvation, thus causing the church to expanding. Similarly, God used Stephen's death and subsequent persecution to enlarge the church through the missionary work of the persecuted Christians. Hellenistic Jews, who embraced the teaching of Christ, returned to their home countries and preached the good news to the people or to the members of their own race. The Hellenistic Jews residing in Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and communicated the gospel to the Greeks for the first time. In the first three verses of chapter 13, Luke continues to the account of the church in Antioch and portrays it as an important center of the Christian faith. One of its first ministries was send relief to family-stricken believers in Jerusalem. So we find a godly church, and this is described in chapter 11. Antioch then rose to prominence. As the church sent missionaries to the Gentile world, Luke mentions this church 14 times in this book. Through the blessed example of the Antioch church, let's observe the characteristics of a multicultural church. And we see that a multicultural church begins through God's providence. The church in Antioch was a direct result of the persecution of the church in Jerusalem, described in chapter 8. And while some Christians went to Samaria and Caesarea, Damascus, Lydda, some of the displaced Jews made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And Antioch was a major ancient metropolis. It was the third largest in the empire, behind only Rome and Alexandria. Antioch was noted for its cultural and commerce, since many Roman trades routes passed through it. It was also a vile place, full of pagan worship and sexual immorality. But there were many people. They decided when the church in Jerusalem heard that the Lord sent believers to Antioch and people were being saved, they decided to send uh, the deacon Barnabar, Barnabas. And the choice of a representative was crucial. Sending a legalistic individual could have spelled disaster. Barnabas, however, was a man full of the Spirit. And in Acts 13, 
Luke's version of God's plan widens as the name of Jesus would be massively witnessed beyond Judea and Samaria. From Antioch, he would reach the ends of the earth. And two evangelist deacons prepared the way. Stephen, through his teaching and martyrdom, and Philip, through his bold, bold evangelism, to the Samaritans and the Antiochian eunuch. The two main conversions reported by Luke had the same effect, that of Saul, who had also been commissioned to the apostles, to the Gentiles, and that of Cornelius through the Apostle Peter. But no one had had the vision to take the good news to the nations across the sea, despite Cyprus being mentioned in chapter 11. Now, finally, a significant step will be taken. Antioch's cosmopolitan population was reflected in its church membership and even its leadership which consisted of five prophets and teachers who lived in the city. So observe, through a hard moment the church was facing, the Lord just took the opportunity to reach that city through persecution. Those simple Christians arrived at Antioch and shared the good news in a complete different reality. In 2008... The Lord called my family to Japan. And most of you know that Japan is a nation with an aged population. And consequently has been struggling in the last decades with lack of workers. For this reason, the Japanese government allowed every uh, Japanese descendant until the third generation to move to Japan and live there. And about a hundred years ago, one million Japanese moved from Japan to Brazil. It's the largest Japanese community in the world. So, in the early 90s, the children and grandchildren of those Japanese to move, that moved to Brazil decided to return to Japan or move to Japan. So, it was this way that the providence of God used to take us from Brazil to pastoring a Brazilian community of Japanese descendants. But when we arrived there, we found in that nation people from many different countries and far from their own people and own cultures, yet in need of love. We decided to leave our cultural bubble and reach them through English classes, barbecue, and food festival. It was amazing how some Chinese brothers and also Peruvians loved to just reach us and bring their own food and dishes. I need to confess to you that sometimes eat some dishes was a challenge. But a missionary stomach is a powerful evangelistic weapon. So the Lord gave us a wonderful time. And I have a picture of our church in Japan. I don't know if it's working. But by the grace of God, after several years working out, you just return 
this is the last one. You move back. No, you move back. You're just breaking all the surprises, but that's okay. Yes, this is the picture of our church in Japan. After uh, four years working, we had nine different nationalities attending our church. People from Europe, U.S., Africa, Japan, Brazil, South America, different countries there. And the Lord gave us a wonderful multicultural church. Thank you. Beyond all the immigration problems the U.S. nation face, we must recognize that the Lord allowed dozens of different nationalities and communities to live around us. The kids of all foreigners study with our children or grandchildren. And our kids spend more time with those kids from different cultures than with ourselves. Social interaction is largely restricted to the dozens of separate cultural bubbles in the U.S., But this is not the ideal reality for the Church of Christ. Even though language is still an obstacle for many, we need to be aware of the great multicultural harvest the Lord is preparing for this nation. I'd like to praise God for all the 8 VPC family, for our beloved pastor and the church session and every single leader and member of this church. For deciding to leave your comfort zone and start a relationship with families from a different cultural background. And mainly through our eight, uh, our fellowship Presbyterian Church. So thanks be to God for your life and for the great vision the Lord gave to you. Start by looking for opportunities provided by our community our church, and take the first step of talking and inviting other people to be with us. We will warmly greet and embrace them as visitors and pray that the Lord's plans will have and have them become part of our fellowship. You have neighbors, you have friends from work or from your communi- community. For sure the Lord is willing to use your life. Invite them for every single program of the church. Secondly, we observe that a multicultural church, beyond to be a result of God's providence, is established through intentional and strategic discipleship. The Lord provided a way to bring people from many different countries to Antioch. But that church was established through intentional and strategic discipleship. The Antioch church grew dramatically under the capable leadership of Barnabas and Saul. And you observe in chapter 11, verse 26. It was in Antioch that the name Christians was first given to the followers of Christ. But we observe that Barnabas and Paul used all the wisdom the Lord gave them by intentionally discipling and preparing leaders from many different cultural backgrounds. 
Observe the list of leaders Luke provides in the verse 1 of chapter 13. The first was Barnabas, who was described as a Levite from, from Cyprus. The second was Simeon, who had the surname of Niger, which means black, probably in African, and supposedly none other than Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross of Jesus. The third was Luxus of Cyrene. There was also Manahan, in Greek called the Syntrophos of Herod the Tetrarch. And this word may mean that Manahan was a bred up with him generally or more specifically that he was his milk brother. And the fifth leader was Saul. These five men symbolized the ethnic and cultural diversity of Antioch and the church itself. They are a perfect picture of faithful obedience of the Great Commission when the Lord said, go and make disciples of all nations. In a multicultural city, a multicultural leadership could have an extremely powerful evangelistic reach and impact. And the Apostle Paul made it clear to the Jewish community in Rome that God does not show favoritism. So Barnabas and Saul could arrive at Antioch and invest time among the Jews. They knew the law much better. They knew much more of scripture. But intentionally, they decided to invest in different leaders from different cultures, different realities. Because this was a powerful instrument to reach people from different backgrounds. I remember one time, one of the Brazilian members of my church in Japan asked me why I used to spend too much time with foreigners. And he added that I would have uh, an easier life if I decided to invest just in one nationality. And I told him, yes, for sure, I will have less work, but also I will have less opportunities to see the glory of God among the different cultures the Lord put around us. We are equal before God, no matter the racial or cultural background we are from. And we need, we are responsible for really acting in love with everyone from everywhere by overcoming the prejudices that resides in our sinful nature. We need you to be a leader. That means training in discipleship and having the heart to serve God's people. The Lord gave you experience knowledge, and relationship with different people. If you are part of a small group, try to invest in other people's lives and training them to reach the different cultures they are emerged. Christians' leaders should try to create and deploy events that will give the people of different cultures a chance to display 
in shared their cultures. Finally, a multicultural church first is the result of God's providence. Yes. A multicultural church is established when the leadership has wisdom and vision to invest in the lives of people from different backgrounds. But finally, a multicultural church grows through real worship and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Observe verses 2 and 3 of chapter 13. The Bible says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This expression, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, is a typical Old Testament religious term. The word worship was used to describe the priests in the temple in Jerusalem offering the sacrifice. This is the first time that this word is used to describe the Christian worship. Now, it's not the priests or just the priests worshiping the Lord, but all Christians from different realities and backgrounds are in the Lord's presence through Jesus Christ worshiping the living God. But they were not just worshiping, they were also fasting. A Jewish practice used in special occasion. And at this time, they were worshiping in fasting in the Lord's presence when the Holy Spirit said, when Luke writes and mentions this experience, he may mean that the Spirit spoke publicly through one or more of the prophets in the church. However, it was possible that a conviction about God's will in the situation was given to each one present. The Holy Spirit was guiding the Spirit's charge and say, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's for the leaders of the church to acknowledge by their actions what God has already decided and, and revealed. And the perfect Greek, proskeklemai, suggests that they have already been called to this work. But the Spirit here speaks for the risen Christ, who first separated Paul to himself for a special work, and prob probably Barnabas now is joining the calling the Lord gave before to Saul. But what is wonderful is that the Lord confirms the calling of these two godly men through the church, through the leadership. And we know very well as Presbyterians that the Lord uses the session and the leadership of the church to display his will through scripture, but also through discernment. They received that through a life of prayer and communion and intimacy with God. We have to be very careful 
that the business of the ministry does not rob us of the quality time to exercise the means of grace. The church in Jerusalem was a powerful multicultural church because they trained people, but mainly because they invested time in the Lord's presence. Exercising means of grace, prayer, worship, meditation in scripture. This is a powerful instrument to strengthening the church. We need to be sensitive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit for the people he will use to accomplish the next text he gives us as a local church. The Lord has the right people to use for every single opportunity he provided to 8 VPC. And the good news is that in the kingdom of God, there is no retirement. Maybe you are in a moment or season of your life that you slow down. But not in the kingdom. For sure the Lord has a special task for you in this season of life. And if you want to understand a little bit more, go to our pastor. And I'm sure the Lord will give him wisdom to guide you in this path. During our ministry in Japan, the Lord used the close relationship we had uh, with a member of our church of African origin to make us aware of a huge need in a refugee village in Rwanda. From there, the Holy Spirit taught our hearts for the cows, and afterward, we prayed as a missionary session and council. Should us invest? Should we invest in, in that mission field? There were many different needs. But through prayer, the Lord guided us, guided us. And by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, a church and a school for refugees in a small village in Rwanda, was born. Through a small, multicultural church, the Lord gave us the privilege to reach a small village in a different continent, far away from us. The Lord is doing great things through 8VPC. You already have a multicultural church as your daughter, but a part of that, the Lord has much more to do through our lives. So let's keep praying and asking from the Lord guidance. At the beginning of this message, I mentioned the cultural clashes we faced. I remember the hardest thing I faced was when I was at my Bible college back in 1999. I used to study during the week, but every weekend I should travel to the interior of the state in Brazil, where I was. And that was a region that the most famous dish in that place was known as buchada, which was nothing more than the organs of the goat cut and sewn into the skin of the animal's stomach. And I want to show you the picture, please, brother. I can't tell you 
I can't tell you how sick my stomach used to get every single time that I smelled because, because it stinked like crazy. I stayed nine years in that area, serving the Lord and those beloved brothers. Almost every weekend said, Pastor, I prepared a special buchada for you. And I, I just used to pray and say, Lord, give me grace. After nine years, nine long years serving in this area, the Lord took me to a different place in Brazil and finally to Japan. Serving serving the Lord in Japan, a complete different culture. However, when we traveled to Rwanda, the father of the local worker who worshipped tribal idols was very impressed uh, with our trip, by our trip. And he had the fattest goats in that village. And he decided to prepare a lunch for our team, a goat barbecue. And we ate a lot of meat. When we thought that lunch was over, I was informed that the main course was on its way. When I looked up with fears in my heart, with fear in my heart, I remember Job's words. The evil I feared the most, this one came to me. It was Bushada. I couldn't believe that nightmare came after me on the other side of Atlantic many years later. I just put some rice on the plate and they put a big piece of Bushada in my plate. And the Africans' brothers there in Rwanda, they have a different way. They don't eat with you. They watch you eat as guests. And I was sweating cold and praying and eating rice and, and asking, Lord, give me deliverance of this. When by God's providence, somebody outside just screamed and everyone looked to the door. At that time, there was a seminarian from my church at my side and just threw the big piece of buchada on his plate. <laughs> when he looked, he saw, no, pastor, please don't do this with me. And I said, please, in love for your pastor, don't say anything. Jaja, our host, was so impressed and glad and he attended our missionary conference every single day. I have a picture of Jaja, please. He was 88 years of life. He didn't know Jesus. After one week attending, he came to me and asked me, why you came from a very wealthy country to our small village? Why? Would you love us? And I told him because God the Son left his throne of glory to a lost and broken world to save us. We are his disciples. We are just following his step. This is a proof of the love of Jesus for you. 
And in the last day of the conference, Jaja confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. One year later, I returned to Rwanda. And Jaja was not there anymore. He was already living with Jesus in heaven. But I have the real hope. That one day, we're going to meet again. And I will embrace him. And rejoice in the Lord's presence when all of us will be together. And remember that by God's grace, we were just clay pots. Instruments in the Lord's, on the Lord's hands. And now, or then, we won't find any racial Difference, age, culture, we will be just one people, one nation, worshiping the Lamb of God. Our calling and our mission is to carry out God's will, to spread the good news of Jesus to all the peoples from all cultures, so they may be able to taste the love of Jesus and the grace, the grace of God. God has called you to help us to spread the good news and grow this church. We count on you to help reach the diverse cultures among us. You attend places that I don't and also our pastor doesn't. But the Lord put you in the right place to show his love and grace. May the Holy Spirit use our lives. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We don't have words, Lord, to express our gratitude because godly men and women left their countries, left their cultures to bring the gospel to us. And this was the way you found this nation named the United States of America. Also Brazil and many other colonies. We are so grateful, Lord, that we are not lost. Worshipping idols. We are not sacrificing our kids to demons. But we can raise them. In your word, we praise you, Lord, for the lives of godly men and women that said, here I am. And we say this morning, here we are, Lord, as your church, as your people. And we can see the mission fields that you already brought to Philadelphia, Huntington Valley. And Lord, give us passion, love, kindness, mercy to reach those people. Even though they are so different. But before you, we are equal. So Lord, use your church. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So church, please you stand.